All right, good morning, everybody. Before we get into our text this morning, I want to go over a few things that will be happening here coming up. Thank you, Toby. Baptism, September 18th. That's next Sunday. Join us for that. It'll be around one thirty, two o'clock. Well, I better be specific. Let's just do 2 o'clock. We'll plan on being out there at 2 um, for that baptism. I only have one so far that's said they want to get baptized. If you are getting baptized, please let me know um, so we don't uh, start without you or leave without getting it done in case you're late. So let me know if you want to be baptized next week. Uh, the Resolve Conference is coming up the weekend after that. So that's September 22nd through the 24th. We're leaving this up so you can take your phone, you can click on that, and you can get yourself registered. We're letting you register online by yourself, but then if you don't mind, put your name on the list so that we know you're going. Um, we can work out rides together or something or, or whatever. I just, it's just nice to know, hey, I'm not going to be the only one showing up at Calvary Chapel St. Joe down there, um, uh, Grace, uh, not the other one. Uh, but that uh, you can sit with people. So just to let you know, we've got a bunch of guys signed up already, but go ahead and take the time to do that. It is $60, but they do have a code that you can use to get half off if you can't afford that. Um, just put that code in when you, when you do it, and they'll, they'll cover the rest. And if you can't do the 30, let us know, and we'll cover the 30. So um, there's no reason you can't go to that. It is a Thursday night, all day Friday, and a Saturday until about noon or so is that conference. A lot of good speakers coming in for that. Harvest Party coming up October 31st, 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. Um, no evil costumes. Hope you understand what we're doing here. If you don't, we're trying to give an alternative to celebrating Halloween. We don't want to be celebrating Halloween um, because it's, it's evil. So we want to steer clear of that. Um, so we're going to let the kids dress up, but we want to steer clear of the ghouls and the blood and all the stuff that goes along with the, the dark side of Halloween and uh, just have fun and just have, give them something else to do other than the garbage that's so, that the world wants us to do. So that's what that's about. Um, so uh, bring cakes for the cakewalk. You know, there's always the competition. We've got first, second, and third place for that. I don't know what prizes you'll get. They're pretty good, though. I do pretty good prizes. Um, I think we did like a like a, a KitchenAid mixer one time. I mean, so, you know, it's worth the effort to do something really cool for the kids. And we need lots of them because it's like the head of the whole thing of the whole party. Everybody just loves walking around with cakes. Um, and so there's a sign-up sheet for that too, to help out. If you think you can be there to help out in any way for the harvest party, um, we could use your, your volunteering and your help an hour here, an hour there, whatever you can do. Um, it really helps us make it a really fun time for the kids. So those things are coming up here. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 66, that's the only Psalm we're going to do today. We will uh, about verse 15 or 14, get into Daniel 9. So I'm just letting you know ahead of time. And a little bit of Romans 1. Okay, so those are going to be your three scriptures today. Psalm 66 is our text, though. Um, and we'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the worship we've had so far in song. And now we're worshiping with our ears. We're going to listen and have ears to hear you and what your Holy Spirit has for us uh, this morning. We pray that we be changed and transformed by your word, but not just for the sake of another Bible study, but to be better worshipers of you, which is what we're doing here, to build our relationship with you, to draw closer to you, um, but then ultimately give you more glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we're about one-third or a little over one-third of the way through the Psalms, I'm taking this time just to do one this morning. So we can kind of focus on what it is that we're doing. We are reading through a songbook, basically. And a lot of it is repetitive because we're talking about the glories of God. And he's one subject. I mean, for, for all these psalms, there's one subject. It's the Lord and what he's done for us. 
And we sing songs about those great things that he's done for us. Um, and so about a third of the way through here, I thought maybe we better refocus uh, so we understand what it is. The songs that we sang this morning are why we go to Bible studies. We give a lot of room for song here at Calvary. We don't sing like two songs, pass the plate, another song, maybe a doxology and you know a couple verses, and then we go home. We spend a good 20, 30 minutes in singing and praising the Lord for what he's done and from songs other people have written. But most, for the most part, we can identify with what those songs are saying. And so we sing those from our own heart, from our own experiences. That's what we're made to do. We're made to worship. The Bible studies that we do are to help us be better worshipers, not the other way around. Now, song does have a role to play in getting our hearts prepared for what we're about to receive in God's Word, but God's Word is designed to change us to be worshipers of God. So to neglect the song portion of worship is to kind of neglect our walk and our reason for being created. We're created to worship God, and we'll cover that this morning a little bit. And so as we go through this Psalm 66, it's just a beautiful song of praise, but about verse 14 or 15 or so, when he begins to talk about what God has done in the past for the nation of Israel by letting them go through the Red Sea and go across the uh, the River Jordan uh, on dry land, that's, I think, going to hit home for us. That's when we'll jump over, okay, to Daniel 5, verse 1 of Psalm 66. Make a joyful shout to God, all you earth, or all the earth. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. Now, he is talking about when Jesus ultimately comes and sets up uh, on the throne here on earth, you know, ruling and reigning. That's when all the enemies are going to willingly, or, you know, well, they'll be willing. It'll be, they won't have a choice, but they don't have a choice in the sense that they, they must acknowledge the fact that he's God. They'll submit themselves to him. All of his enemies will. And so the, the writer here is just excited for that day to come. When it's all done, you know, when all the fighting and all the dark versus, you know, good versus evil, you know, dark versus light is all taken care of. And so we want to shout. And he says the whole earth is going to do it. Everybody needs to say this. How awesome are your works, Lord? You know, sometimes we'll have moments like that. We have the, you know, the daily grind that we go through. And so it's rare that we're walking around in Walmart or doing our jobs or whatever saying, you know, how great are your works? You know, we're doing, we're focused on something else, but there are those moments when we get some clarity, you know, maybe it's a drive home and you, and you see how big the sky is for once. Cause there's a few clouds in it. And it's not all blue. And you see the depth, you know, the sky's big. We're like, Oh yeah, it's great. But sometimes the clouds are stationed in such a way that you're like, Whoa, it gives you depth, you know, gives you a perception. It's like, this is enormous. It's unbelievable. And you begin to praise God as a Christian, as a believer. And so he's saying, we want to take those times, those moments, how awesome are your works? It's, it's worth the time. I mean, that's what he's done for us. You know, we could talk about the cross. We can talk about the, uh, the tomb. We, we sang about that uh, this morning. Um, but just the everyday walking around and noticing the creation and noticing the people in our lives and the blessings that they are to us and so on. It's, it's, it's good to take that time, like verse 3 says, and say, how awesome are your works, Lord? It's amazing what you've done for me, and to praise him for those things. Not always going through the things he hasn't done for us or our problems. It's really easy to focus on the negative. It is. That's our problem. Our, it feels like our whole life is designed to get rid of 
all the bad stuff in our life. And so we focus on that. It's like cleaning, you know? It's like you can't just enjoy a, a sort of clean house. It's just not quite clean. And so you're thinking about all the things that didn't get cleaned kind of thing. And we can spend a lot of time on that in our lives, thinking about what needs to go. And that's okay. I mean, we do want to focus on that, but it also takes time just to, to relax and enjoy what we have, where we are, you know? Um, new believers that are just starting to walk with the Lord and gathering Bible studies and, and God is sh- slowly showing them things that need to go in their lives, they've progressed and that you need to rejoice in that progression that you're making with the Lord. The, the, the maturity that's happening in your life. Take the time. I, don't sit there, well, I'm not like them. You could do that your whole life, you know? We're going to cover Daniel here. None of us are going to be like Daniel. We'd like to be like Daniel, but none of us are probably going to reach that level kind of thing. You know, just that, wow, he was like always on, you know. But we can rejoice in the fact that we're moving forward with the Lord. We've got a relationship. It's going to be a little theatrical, if you'll indulge me a little bit. I know it's the first service. I know we're all kind of coffeeing and all that stuff. Put your Bibles to your side, if you don't mind. Set them down or whatever. And I want all the sons and daughters of God to stand up. All the sons and daughters of God to stand up. I know. You're like, oh, okay. There takes some acknowledgement there. See, I can call you brothers and sisters, but that's my relationship with you. A son and daughter of God, that's your relationship with him. And to take the time to think, wait, am I? I am. You stood up knowing. Know that about yourself. You're a son and daughter of God. Okay? All right. You can sit down. Thank you for indulging me. It's a little theatrical, but I think it's important that we remember that. Our Father in heaven has called. The only people that qualify that statement is us. Well, we're adopted. We're adopted, sons and daughters. I know. I know, and God knows. But he doesn't really say that. Only Paul says that. And only, you know, we're sons and daughters. When, when he sees us, he, he sees his son Jesus. He sees that righteousness. You're a son or daughter of God. That's a big deal. That's my identity. That's my identity. It's who I, that's who I am. I am a son of God. He's maybe a king and a priest also. We could stand up for that too. Any kings and priests? No, don't. You know. That's a big deal. I'm a leader. I'm a ruler in a sense. I'm also a priest bringing people to God on behalf of God and bringing God to people on behalf of him. That's my job. You know, I know we have one high priest. That's only us that qualifies that. God doesn't. He says, I've made you kings and priests. It's amazing what's happened to us. You're a son and daughter of God. You're a king and priest in his kingdom. That's our identity. That's who we are. Everything else is second, third, fourth, fifth on the list. Whatever else you call yourself in this world, it's way down the list compared to those three things. And we need to know that. And so the writer here is excited for the Lord, excited for that time when he rules and reigns on this earth. He says in verse 5, come and see the works of God. He is awesome in his doing towards the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land, and they went through uh, the river on foot. There we, will re- uh, there we will rejoice in him. He rules by his power forever. His eyes observe the nations. Do not, do not let the rebellious exalt themselves. I'm going to go a little earlier here. I think I'll do. I think I'll go there now. Um, what the writer here is saying, and and I and I'm trying to make a. It's a little bit of a jump, a little bit of a stretch, but not too much. I'm not springboarding too much out of the text. When he talks about 
the first one going through on dry land. That's Moses, right? Okay. Who, who, who went, who, who, who led the way in that? You know, it, it was, it was an understanding that these million of people that came out of Egypt, they had placed God first. They placed him first. I want you to remember that. And God going first, God going before them, them following the pillar of fire and the pillar of smoke and the sea parting was God going first in their lives. And that's what the writer here is saying. God has been first in our lives. And here's some of the things he's done as being first in our lives. He's made our ways straight and clear. The second one he points to is Joshua, isn't it? When they cross over the Jordan, Joshua is the leader at the time, but God is first. God is first. Okay. Now turn with me to Daniel chapter five, Daniel five. Some background for Daniel is um, basically they are in captivity. The nation of Israel had been um, negligent, uh, not doing what God um, had asked them to do. Uh, they had been taken captive by Babylon. They are there. Um, and so they're being ruled sort of or overseen by just a worldly group. And, and, and this worldly group, the Babylonians, really believe that their God has conquered the God of Israel. And that, of course, hasn't happened. We know from Scripture that even in the captivity, God is still in charge. He's just using Babylon to teach the nation of Israel a lesson, okay? Um, so this Daniel 5 shows up. They've conquered Israel. They've done some crazy things. They've, they've been through an okay king who kind of knew the Lord. Um, but now they've moved on to this Belshazzar. He's ruling now. He's the son um, of Nebuchadnezzar. And he is ruling and reigning. And, and the son's just a party kid, you know, doesn't really understand the power that's been given him or anything, or doesn't understand what's happened doesn't have the history. It wasn't him. He's inherited this. And so here's our story. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple. That's the temple of Israel, right? The temple of God. They'd taken those silver and gold vessels out um, and uh, he wants to use them, he says. He says, uh, they've been in Jerusalem, and the kings and the lords, his wives, and the concubines might drink from them at this party. You know? Essentially thumbing their nose at, at this worthless nation, this worthless God that was so easily defeated. Take those holy things out, and let's, let's defile them you know, in our party kind of thing. They've turned the things of God into a, uh, well, party favors, basically, or utensils to be used. Well, God's watching this. He'll let, he'll let Babylon only do so much before he steps in and lets them know, you're not in charge here. You're just a, a useful idiot in my plan for Israel is all you are. And this is where he steps in. So they decide to take that next step and defile these vessels and use them for the party. Now, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, and wood and stone. So it's this big celebration. And they're, they're toasting these made-up gods, right? Well, the God who sees, the God who sees, sees. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand 
on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. The king's countenance changed, I bet. (laughs) And his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. In other words, he wet his pants, basically. And he's lost all control, right? Who wouldn't? The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in kingdom. Make note of that. Third. Third. I think that's interesting. Now, all the king's wise men came and they couldn't read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly troubled. His countenance was changed and his lords were astonished. The queen, the thing she's around, because of the words of the king and the lords, came to the banquet hall. The queen spoke, saying, O king, live forever. Do not let your thoughts trouble you, nor let your countenance change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the Holy Spirit, or here the Spirit of the Holy God, and in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your your father, the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers, inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will give the interpretation. So he's forgotten about this guy, right? So the queen says, there is a guy that knows this. He's got the spirit of, like, the holy God. The holy God and this Daniel were not invited to this party. So Daniel's being brought out of mothballs for this. Verse 13, Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king spoke and said to Daniel, Are you that Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, whom my father the king brought from Judah? I have heard of you, that the Spirit of God is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not give me the interpretation of the thing. And I have heard of you, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can read the writings... And make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in kingdom. Now, for the most part, we get excited about that. Oh, look, see, walking with God pays off. Being faithful to God pays off. Look at Daniel being exalted among all of his other brethren. Being exalted to where? Third in a two-bit kingdom? That's why I had you stand up. You are kings and priests, sons and daughters of God. You're so far above this place. You're so, have been exalted by God so far above to be excited about these minor things. Please take Daniel's advice here in this next section. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself. And give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I love that. 
Daniel doesn't walk in as a captive as the king tries to put him down. Aren't you that captive? Aren't you the one my dad brought in here? Aren't you that guy? No, I don't think you understand who I am. Now, Daniel's not being arrogant and prideful. He's just saying, you have nothing to offer me that can be higher than what I have already. The world has nothing to offer you that can be higher than what you have already. We've been exalted. I mean, it's unbelievable what God's given us if we'd walk that way. Daniel says, you can keep your robe and your gold chains because none of you can read the writing, only I can. And he walks in like a boss. And I like that. And that's important for us to remember. When I walk into my workplace, when I walk into somebody's life, when I walk into a counseling session, when I walk into anywhere, we all need to know that. We're walking in as the authority. You know God. You have all truth. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You're no different than Daniel. When you walk into these places, we know. You can invite me into the Oval Office and President Biden can sit me down and say, oh, you know, I know you're just this little guy from the middle of Maryville, Missouri, but I thought maybe you could pray for me. You have no idea. Yeah, what you've said about me is true. But as far as the, as far as the people in this room is concerned, Mr. Biden, if you're not a, a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, I'm higher than you. I have more authority than you. I've been exalted higher. We need to walk like that. We're not defeated. The world has nothing to offer us. They're promotions. They're gold. They're purple robes. You can keep them. You can keep them. See, because the world's fickle. Daniel will find himself in this position, but he'll also find himself, if he's not pleasing to somebody, he'll find himself in the lion's den. The world doesn't care about you. The world will put a robe on you or throw you in the lion's den, depending on their mood that day. But your God won't. Our God won't. You can keep your stuff, he says. Oh, but I'll read it to you. O king, the most high God, <laughs> that bothers them, because they're standing in a room full of gold, silver, and tiny little wooden and stone gods. As he's looking around the room saying, the most high God, you know, pff, you can get rid of all this furniture. Gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, a kingdom of majesty. See how he twisted it? Yeah, your dad brought me here, but my God gave you this kingdom. And if you don't remember, now he's not adding this in here, but I will. Don't you remember your dad walking around like an animal and a beast, losing his mind in the field for a while? That was God too. So that's who we're talking about. So let's get everybody in the right positions here before we go any further, Mr. King. My God that I'm about to interpret for you, who I serve and whom you cannot exalt me higher than he already has, has a message for you. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and language trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was disposed from the kingly throne and they took his glory from him. But then he was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beast, and, he dwell, and, and his dwelling was, in the, was with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like an oxen, and his body was wet with dew, the dew of heaven, till he knew, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. But you, his son, Belshazzar, who obviously hasn't learned any of this, but is learning now, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. 
You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords, your wives, your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze and iron, wood, stone, which do not, which, which do not see or hear or know. They have no brain. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Now, we can go on anyway. I suppose we want to finish the story. What was the writing, you know? Meeny, meeny, tekel, epherson. And I know that's not how you pronounce it, but it's close enough. This is the interpretation of each word. Meaning, God has numbered your kingdom and finished it. You're done. Tekel. You've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persian. Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and they clothed Daniel with purple and put a chain of gold around his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in, kingdom, in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. Done. That night. Now, why do I take the time for all that? Well, because the idea was they made him third. If you have someone writing on your wall that you can't see, and has a message about taking your kingdom from you, it shows authority. It's a very... Uh, I, don't, I don't know how the right way to put this is. We even can get excited about um, Joseph. That's another one we get excited about. Joseph, where'd he get to be? Number two in all of Egypt. Can you believe it? Two? You got this guy, Daniel, who knows the living God and says, keep your stuff. He's number three. Oh, but he's, you know, you know, oh, he got, Joseph got to be number two. No. You see, Joshua, Moses, Daniel, any of the men of God, David, God is first. God is first. We can make the mistake of thinking that God being third in our life, God being second in our life, although we'd never say that out loud, is not the same as God being first and leading us. So oftentimes we come to Bible studies trying to figure out, how can I use God better to make my life better? I don't think I'm using God to his fullest capacity in my life to make my life better than it is. And what we have is God in second or third place in our life. It's a very dangerous place for him to be. He should not be there in our lives. He needs to be first. We need to be following him. That's what this writer in Psalms is writing about, worshiping God with our lives, everything. No, no second or third. That's, that's for Belshazzar. That's for, the, that's for Pharaoh. It's not, uh, that's not for us. We're called to be Davids. We're called to be Daniels. We're, we're, we're called to be Marys. We're called to be Sons and daughters of the Most High God, and he needs to be the father. He needs to be the leader in our lives. So this writer writes this beautiful song and, and about worshiping God. We're made for that. We're made to worship him. That's secondary. It's a secondary position. He's the subject. We're the verb or we're the adjective. You know, we're, what's, that's, our, that's our part in this. We're not the subject. He is in our lives. And he needs to be there. In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work 
that God does from the beginning to end. In Ecclesiastes there, he tells us that God has placed eternity in our mind. That's why we worship. That's why they're worshiping in this story in Daniel. They're not worshiping the true living God because he can't be controlled. Because he's all-powerful. But we can worship smaller, lesser gods because they can be manipulated. You see, either way, though, they're still worshiping. I mean, if you're not going to worship him, why worship anything? But they do. They make, they make these other dumb idols to worship. Eternity is on our hearts. We will worship something. We're made for it. We're built for it. And if we won't worship the Most High God, we will find something else to worship. How do I stop from sinning? The, the scriptures are very clear to us. Do the right thing and you won't be doing the wrong thing. It's not about avoiding the wrong thing. It's about doing the right thing. If I don't want to be caught in the position of being less than what God's called me to be, to be worshiping dumb idols or smaller things, I don't know if my boat's my idol. I don't know if this or that. You don't have to worry about that. Worship God. Worship the most high God and you won't be worshiping those lessers in your life. They become naturally second, third, fourth, way down on the list. Worship God. You've got an eternity placed on your hearts for a purpose because you know that you'll be living forever someplace and that eternity needs to be with God. We're made to declare him. Isaiah 43, 21. This people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praises. I'm made for that. When I'm not doing that, when I'm not praising God, I'm not fulfilling what God's purposes for my life in everything, whether that's in the songs that we sang, whether that's in listening to the Bible study this morning, whether that's in doing my job as unto the Lord, and just putting Christian on it doesn't make it like you're doing it for the Lord. You know, We're made to declare him to the world. Sometimes that looks, sometimes that declaration is from a lion's den. Sometimes it's in the king's hall. But regardless of where we find ourselves situationally, we're called to praise the Lord. We will worship him. Uh, we will worship something, if not him. Romans 1.21, that's the other section I wanted to go to. When we aren't worshiping God, which is a very dangerous place to be, it says this, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, and that continues to decline all the way through that Romans chapter 1. When I don't worship God, but I don't acknowledge him as everything, we begin to worship the creature, the created. We begin to worship these other things. He becomes less and our gods become small and we decline because we're not doing what we're, we're called to do. God is watching for worshipers. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, but the hour is coming and is now here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God's looking for worship. He's looking for us to sing songs to him, to say the things that the psalmist said, you know, how marvelous are your works before me, God. I just can't believe all the things that you've done for the sons of men. It's amazing. He's looking for that. He's watching for that. Matthew chapter 5 or 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. We're, we're called to resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That's how you resist. Satan is always looking for worship, or he's always looking to at least distract you from worshiping the true God. When I worship the true and living God, that is resisting the devil in my life. That's how you resist. 
Acts chapter 16, verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. It doesn't matter your situation. Oh, we're in captivity. So many of the Israelites were so bummed out about being in Babylon in captivity that they set up shop there, that they got comfortable and cozy. And when the opportunity to return to Israel came, they didn't go back. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and probably several other of what they call a remnant did. No matter where we are, we will worship God. Paul and Silas understood that. We're in the middle of a prison. We're not imprisoned. We've just been moved to a different mission field, and the prison is our mission field. Here we will praise the Lord. We're going to give him praise. Not wanting to get, I'll praise you when I get out of this place. That's when, oh God, get me out of here, and that's when I'll give you my life. No, my life's yours now. They began to praise him. When you're encouraging other people, Ephesians 5, 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, with your heart, some of the best medicine you can give to one another is to begin to praise God with other people in your lives. You know, my opinions, my ideas, my becomes like a self-help book that you could pick up at Barnes and Noble if that was still even around anymore. I don't know if they're still functioning as a brick and mortar building or not, but you know, you turn into Amazon all of a sudden with all these platitudes and humanistic ideas. Now just praise the Lord with people. Sing worship songs. Talk about all the marvelous works that he's done. That's healing. It restores. It's your purpose. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What are spiritual sacrifices? Praise. Worship. You are a stone being placed in the building of God. As God creates a temple made of people, you're one of those stones. And we begin to be put into place wherever we are. My purpose is to sit on this wall at this location in God's temple that he's building with his people and to worship and bring him glory. There's no other reason. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are called and set up in this position to proclaim, worship. God says it's expected. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, Paul says, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. We're called to this, to be first, to make it my aim. Tomorrow's Monday. My job is to be a believer in Jesus Christ, to proclaim his goodness through my hands, through my mind, through my speech, through my listening, through my love. But my job is to make sure that he is represented well. And that's my act of worship. It isn't about me being represented well. It isn't about me having a good Monday. It isn't about God making sure my Monday is smooth and happy and joyful and problem-free. Which is a very dangerous trend in the church. No, my job is, no matter what day Monday is like, is that I represent Jesus Christ well through everything or anything that comes my way. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. 
through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Now we know why we're going through Psalms still. Because there's so many things we could write about God. There's so many songs we could sing. And although as we go through these, they seem to be a little repetitious. That's because he's done so many of the same good things over and over and over again in our lives. And not one of them should be left unsung in our hearts. Now let's finish Psalm 66 here. Verse 8, oh, bless our God, you peoples. And make the voice of his praise to be heard who keeps our soul among the living and does not allow our feet to be moved. For you, O God, have tested us. You have refined us as silver is refined. You brought us into the net. You laid affliction on our backs. You've caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through water, but you brought us out to rich fulfillment. I will go into your house with burnt offerings. I will pay you my vows which my lips have uttered and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt sacrifices of fat animals with the sweet aroma of rams. I will offer bulls with goats. That's like offering on top of offering. I can't, I can't give you enough God for all you've done. He is praising him for the difficulties in his life. He's thanking him for it. You know, thank you for putting me through the fire. Thank you for putting affliction on my back. Thank you for refining me like silver is refined by applying heat to my life. Thank you because you've made me better. You've made me more like you. Come in here, all you who fear God, and I will declare what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth and he was extolled with my tongue. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear, but certainly God has heard me. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, who has not turned away from my prayer, nor his mercy from me. Wonderful psalm. Encourage you, sing praises to the Lord. When we have opportunities to sing here, sing out loud, as loud as you can. When you see that throughout your day, maybe tomorrow, maybe even this afternoon, you notice the sky, you notice the things, someone comes to your mind, a blessing, a person that's been a joy to you, thank God for them. Don't just think fondly of them. Thank God for those people you know, and the things that he's done for you. We're going to have communion now. Good segue into that. We praise you, God, for this little meal we're about to have. You know, This little piece of bread and this little cup of juice means so much to us. Reminds us. Jesus said, as often as you eat this and drink this, do this in remembrance of me. It's like an act of worship. It really is. Thank you. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, still loving the disciples, even though what was about to happen to him, he took the bread that they were eating and he broke it, passed it around. He gave thanks for it. He said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Of course, I didn't understand what that meant. Symbolic, obviously. But the next day they would know. That same night, he took the cup that they were all sharing. He lifted it up, and he blessed it, and he gave thanks for it. He says, take and drink. This is the cup of my new covenant, my shed blood for you. As often as you eat this or drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Of course, again, they didn't know. 
But the next day they'd see the blood coming down his face and from his hands and from his feet. And they would remember that this is what he meant, that this is all for us. The cross was for us. It shows his love. And as we remember this this morning, the pain and the suffering that he went through, the wrath of God that was poured out on him for our sins, we worship him today. Not just with a nod and a wink or out of duty or because it's that time again. But we worship him for who he is. He's still the same person. He's worthy of our whole lives today, tomorrow, and forever. To be first, not be second, to not be third. That God would be first in everything. Lord, we thank you for this little cup and this piece of bread. We thank you for the reminder you gave us. You knew we would need the reminder. You've given us this way to worship you, to give you praise and thanksgiving from our lips and from our hearts, from our minds as we think on you. It's for our benefit, but it is another way. You've given us a voice to sing. You've given us hearts to believe. They've given us minds to understand and ears to hear and eyes to see. And with all these things you've given us, Lord, we worship you this morning. We thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for the sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for rising from the dead. We thank you for fixing everything that we broke. And that because of that, we can trust and rest in you. We can spend the rest of our lives not wondering whether we're going to go to heaven or not, but we can spend the rest of our lives worshiping you and representing you, being ambassadors for you, proclaiming you with our entire lives, with all of our being. So God, we do that right now. We worship you with everything we have. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Those vessels that Belshazzar took from the temple that weren't to be used for anything else other than the worship of God, that's us. We're made for no other purpose but to worship God, to carry him alone, to be used for his purposes only. Any other purpose is defilement. That's important to know. And so as we're cracked vessels because we were defiled, that's why Jesus died on the cross. We're also healed vessels to be used again, cleansed again, to be made new, to be used to bring him glory in our lives.